Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. This evening, I'm sat with Will Chambers, Acquisition Director for Perseus Land, headquartered in Northampton and focused exclusively in investing and developing in the care home and retirement living sector. Now, Will's career spent 14 years working for King Sturge, Jones Lang and Barwood Capital, but arguably he's best known as one of the founding members of Propski and Prop Events. So, Will, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, hi, Nick. Thanks. Let's get started. Um, tell us how the chapter one of your career began. Yeah, certainly. I suspect it really began at Reading University, studying the undergrad course in land management, or as it was called. And yeah, I got picked up by a chap called Mark Smith, who worked for King Sturge and was doing the milk round. I was rushing between the lectures, if you like, with a with my project folder, and he collared me and said, what are you up to? And kind of didn't really have much time uh, to stop and talk, but um, gave me his card. And then that ended up being a, um, a job offer um, after an assessment day and an interview later. So it all started there, really, at King Sturge. Well, very smooth then. Very, uh, a lot smoother than my graduate recruitment days. It went went down in fire. Do you remember what, what necessarily you were looking for in those, in those first days? Um, absolutely not, no. I, I studied the development and planning course and did the submissions for the Savills, Allsops uh, and the likes, uh, went to assessment days, etc. and got back, knocked back quite a few times, actually. And um, I'd kind of just given up at that point and thought I will focus on getting my degree and then look at it the next year. But that was literally when Mark bumped into me and gave me his card. Little did I know King Sturge was the perfect fit. Excellent stuff. And now, for anyone who doesn't know, your graduation uh, year was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I suspect you probably benefited and saw a little bit of the heyday of, of London real estate, but then also very, very quickly also saw you know, what happened after sort of uh, in 2008, 2009 with sort of the GFC. What was that like? And, you know, given most people's sort of graduates and intake is, is roughly a sort of t- a two year sort of training ground. You had one one fantastic year and then one, one probably, uh, I suspect, one darker year. How did you find it? Yeah, um, it, it was a strange time. I mean, yeah, we, we entered in the heyday. Um, it was it was it was quite fantastic. Lots of lots of things going on. I, I was involved with the residential valuation side of, of King Sturge's development business at the outset. And yeah, from 2007 to early 2000 and eight it was um it was booming and i had fortunately got myself on a uh, rotation to go out to the brussels uh, investment evaluation team and um as you all know uh, europe lags a little bit behind everywhere else um, and so i was tucked up away out of sight uh, and out of mind but um uh, during the financial crisis if you like but uh, i think there was only at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, I think there was only three out of the 70 graduate intake, uh, and I being one of them, that was left. I think that's, that's quite uh, startling, isn't it? Well, then let's, I gave you sort of the, the audience a bit of a tip off in terms of where this career sort of uh, gets to. Tell us a bit more about those sort of foundation blocks that you were putting into place then in those in those early years then at King Sturge. Yeah, certainly. So um, I think 
one thing is you're conscious of as a graduate when you leave university is that you want to go and uh, you know taste the delights of surveying and figure out where your career is going to lead and you know to some extent that's you know that's you don't get to choose it's you, you get allocated to a a team and, and and you're working under some chartered surveyors and you know you you can request certain areas but it, it, it ultimately it has to fit the business that you that you go and train with and I was a little bit disheartened day one uh, at King Sturge we got given an envelope and told where we would be going and sitting and I got told residential valuations and my heart sunk at the thought of walking around two bedroom flats or you know houses in you know wherever it might be and and putting together a, a residential valuation and uh, yeah, I thought, well, I could have been a, an estate agent and earned twice as much as a chartered surveyor if that was my role. But actually, little did I know it was the foundations and building blocks of a good kind of valuation thesis uh, basis. Sorry. And, you know, it, it was working under a chap called Andrew Frost and uh, Tom Henry. Um, and we were learning um, about residential development in London. So it was much more exciting than perhaps I first thought. We then got the opportunity to rotate through different segments of the business which gave a really good understanding of the wider commercial aspect of of surveying to also dip your toes into various different sectors to decide where actually you know your your either your skill set and or your passion lies um, and for me it was very much within that development and planning framework but also being on the transactional market facing side of life sticking with king sturge then at this, at this time what size of team were you you in? How many people were you working around in, within within that division? Once I'd settled in the development consulting team, there was there must have been about eight or so, and it was slightly the misfits which they chucked together. <laughs> when I say misfits, I just mean the kind of the specialist teams, if you like. We had the heritage consultant, we had the educational specialist, we had the guy that knew lots about network rail and transport for London as well as the public sector consulting team um, and we do a range of work from consulting with national government right down to local local plant local authorities through to you know national bodies such as the court service and ministry of justice so a, a, a wide variety of work whether it be buying selling or advising right through to you know what what level should the mayoral sill be okay okay um, sticking with that segue then about sort of buying and selling, roughly four years into your career with with King Sturge became the merger with Jones Lang LaSalle. What was that like then in terms of for for your career? What did that mean then for, for you in particular? Yeah, so the merger was, you could have seen it as a buyout really, but um, it was nerve, nerve wracking really. You've, you know, you're coming from a, a, a smaller, very reputable UK based business, which had strongholds in various European countries but you know joining a, a huge commercial outfit that's worldwide present you know an American beast and 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 yeah your job security you, you had to hold on to your seat a little bit and you think oh am I going to have a job at the end of it but actually it, it actually worked really well uh, it was a really good fit the King Sturge and JLL merger those strengths there which complemented each other and and yeah and as been seen today they're going from strength to strength and in, for you in particular, Will, given, you know, I, I talk about sort of there being waves within our careers, we're accelerating them, we're resting. 
2011, when this when this sort of turmoil sort of hit, you know, it, I presume it could have gone two ways for you, couldn't it? You, know, you could have been sort of chucked into a much larger team and then and then struggled. Seemingly, you didn't. You know, does this mean then this this started then a chance then for you to to accelerate and to and to learn some new skills? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think there there was colleagues that didn't get afforded the same opportunity that I did. I think possibly I was a younger very hungry keen surveyor having recently qualified in 2009 you know and that was picked up by the partner who was setting up the new um, development consulting capital markets team and and with that I came uh, client lead for a a fairly profitable um, client uh, in the Ministry of Justice at the time Um, so I think it was probably a little bit of fortune but yeah I think it opened up wider opportunities for me and slimmed down um, our team effectively to make us look quite profitable, actually, in the end. Okay, well, so what did you bring to the JLL team then? Um, At the time, I was managing a um, contract for the Ministry of Justice. And yes, it was quite a risk. 80% of my time was advising both the prison disposals and the court disposals programme. But uh, whilst the fees were low, um, the volume of work was high and actually for being a fairly cheap um, employee at the time, I was able to demonstrate quite a decent turnover for our particular department. Um, so yeah, there was a bit of bit of pressure because it was one major client uh, and servicing some smaller clients on the side, but um, it obviously fitted and, and worked well for the wider JLL business at the time. Okay. Now, as part of my research, I spoke to one of your colleagues at Jones Lang, who, who, who you were working quite closely with around this time. Um, and I asked them to give me a quick sort of summary in terms of maybe how they, maybe your most sort of prominent sort of traits. Um, and this is what they said. Will's an excellent networker and also highly entrepreneurial and very quickly established himself as one of the better known Jones Lang uh, names within the, that department. Out of curiosity, does that, does that networking ability, that entrepreneur, is that something that comes naturally to you? Is that something you've had to work at? Yeah, I, I think... I think uh, being a people person, if you like, I see myself fairly comfortable inside a room. Now, that said, it took a while to gain some confidence in your surveying career to feel confident about all the technicalities of valuation. And, and, you know, perhaps there's often hierarchies in place uh, within workplaces and in in networking environments. But quite quickly, yeah, I, I can get comfortable within a room and, yeah, feel fairly confident networking. Well, Given what they they said, I suppose it's it's not a surprise then that sort of um, very early on in, into your surveying career, you chose to set up your own networking events, isn't it? Um, uh, to, and that's what people have come to to know as prop ski. Uh, yeah. Am I right? I think it's now ten years old. That's right. Yeah. Well, it'll be ten years old next year. Okay. So twenty twenty two. So tell us a little bit more about sort of what the thinking was when you set that up. Yeah, I think it was that there was a slight. <sighs> kind of dismay at you know seeing lots of things happen but not being invited to them so that whole fear of missing out and I I think there was we felt there was an opportunity to break down some of those uh, the old boy networks of the property industry and kind of create our own environment if you like and, and there was always this kind of objective to create a inclusive affordable and accessible network uh, and opportunity for people to network and build their build their careers 
so that's kind of where it all started other than it being an idea in a pub in the west end (laughs) (laughs) um call me cynical did it did it have as as bold an aspirations as that when you first started up or was or was it a piss up on the slopes with some mates (laughs) i think you stick a load of surveyors in a room they're, they're likely to have a beer or two but no it didn't have such bold ambitions right at the outset um it really was an opportunity to go skiing um and potentially if we took 20 20 mates each we might get our ski trip for free through the economies of scale um and that's really how it started and from that we kind of started to recognize that it it created really interesting relationships and, and friendships and it's good to be able to do business with people you like and trust and spending a week skiing with someone you get to know them quite well at that at that moment maybe it's within the you know whether it's the first year or second year or third year how quickly did you realize that this was going to have an an impact on your career um i think when we started to gain the support of fairly senior industry leaders at the time which liked what we were doing the intention was always to have the prop ski the ski trip if you like not owned by a particular um, outfit or company that's represented in the you know in the surveying world but to be to have them as sponsors so it could stay kind of agnostic if you like and and be a representation of the industry rather than uh, someone's brand projection if you like so i can't don't know if that answered the question but when 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 did it start to become a reality i guess is you know yeah as 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 and when you know we'd taken 100 people on the first trip um we we recognized that there was an opportunity to to grow to grow it and to expand it and we had people thankful for running the trip and and talking about how they can how we can make it better that gives me one answer in sense of sort of for propsky but for you personally how how were you benefiting how sort of influential was that given presumably it's also a huge amount of time commitment wasn't it you've still you've got a career and also the putting it into context you've just within the sort of first year of setting this up you're also then moving to jones lang and having to prove yourself and running this moj account this is a lot of plates spinning right yeah um (laughs) you could say that when you look back you think how on earth do we do it but um it's just a matter of putting your head down and getting on with it i think there's a great enjoyment that i get out of running events and having a vision and trying to achieve that and then being able to step back at during the event or post it and say well that that really worked and it's the feedback you get from people but um was it working for you as in wasn't it were you getting the benefit from it yeah, I'd say for the first probably four or five years, it probably didn't. Um, uh, but it was never really there to try and create me business instantaneously. It was al- always a thought that, you know, there's this your property career is going to be 30 odd years plus, depending how successful you are, I guess. And it wasn't necessarily about creating instant return. But we, it, investing that time at the beginning has now reaping its rewards now um having such an expanded network and and opportunity but during the jll days you know i was typically advising and selling things so you know i I didn't necessarily need to know people because you know people wanted to know me because i was selling something okay well then if then let me flip back then to to jones lang now we're getting you've now spent sort of uh five or six years then in surveying king sturge now sort of jones lang you know Arguably, this is this is then a a very common period for people then to be making some pretty big decisions uh, about about their career. What were you particularly learning, or what was going on really at the, at this sort of stage? I suspect. 
Yeah, certainly. So I think, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd got myself to a director level and, and you, you get these kind of uh, career pathways kind of outlined to you with lots of different titles and understanding of pay grades, etc. And um, I have to say, I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed time at JLL, but I got to a point thinking, am I going to be doing this particular role for the next 15, 20 years and will it satisfy me? And to some extent, yes, I could have been satisfied, I'm sure. But there was always a burning desire to actually go out there and, and actually build, you know, build some of the things we talk about building uh, and taking the risks and, and hopefully reaping the rewards alongside that, um, which at a consultancy or professional practice, you know, you are very much advising. Okay. So once more, again, this this feels like the start of a new chapter and for those sort of keep, keeping track, this is this is when we're starting then to to make the transition from Jones Lang LaSalle to to Barwood Capital. Um, what I wanted to do now is just learn a bit more about. You've talked about the why. Let's have a chat about the what. You know, what what was this role and and, and why was that so so alluring? Well, I think it was the opportunity to um, to to go and work with a uh, prop co stroke developer and it wasn't necessarily targeted or pinpointed at Barwood at the time it was it was going client side and being closer to the money and closer to the risk if you like uh, and actually delivering product and the why I think it's to feel like you're progressing I feel like I sold lots of buildings probably most asset classes that were available to sell uh, and I'd acquired various dis- different assets so for me it was um what's next Okay, well, so given lots of people will be listening to this right now and they may well find themselves in a similar position where they are currently sat within an advisory or, or a consultancy of an environment and are considering or at least sort of interested in that prospect of being just what you explained there, being the person then to make those decisions. Tell us a bit more about sort of how you found those early days when you made that transition and how did those two roles differ in particular? Yes, certainly. So... I guess what one of the key principal decisions is that effectively you're you're providing a recommendation where action is going to be taken. So there's much more responsibility. You might be collating info or reports from consultants, but you are effectively making that call or presenting a proposed uh, route uh, or action to the board in order to be able to get their sign off. Um, so you're you're much closer to that action and decision making. And what does that mean then for for you? What skills did you need to particularly sort of develop in order to meet that brief? Yeah, I, you become a bit more analytical and you, your language also has to change. You know, you're no longer hiding behind a, a report with terms and conditions. You are making a, a firm recommendation about what should be done and why um, and, and having all that, that background detail of, of why you've come to that conclusion. Now, I asked one of your colleagues from Barwood about uh, also asking about sort of what your prominent traits are, but but in particular, looking at at those earliest days. And this is this is what they said. They described you as a lateral thinker and loved solving problems. But that sometimes then came with a bit of baggage attached because it meant you could be overladen with problems. And over time, you've had to evolve the skills to turn these off earlier to focus on the right problems to solve. Does that does that ring true? Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think Ed Ed will be referring to when we're looking at opportunities. So 
as investment manager at Barwood, I was one of my key roles and responsibilities was acquiring opportunities for the, the various growth funds that were currently investing. And quite often you'd you need to learn a knack of dropping something quicker. <laughs> Otherwise, you can spend a long time looking at something to get to the same conclusion. Um, and I think that comes with age. Uh, but I and and you've got support there, but you don't always, you know, you want to be able to stand on your own two feet when you enter a, you know, a, a business like Barwood, and and with that comes pressure. So I think yeah, I probably probably was very detailed, but that was for the right reasons, which perhaps sometimes slowed down decisions. Is there something in that in the fact that you've come from sort of that big corporate then with Jones Lang and like you said then dealt with every asset class going? So presumably then you've got you've got lots of options, right? You presented with with any sort of problem and you've you've got a you've you or at least you know you could have a buyer in for something of this sort. Now you're you're dealing with a, with a single customer. It's Barwood, right? Does, is there something in in that in that transition then from having a very broad spectrum then to then to having a much smaller client base but knowing them much better? Yeah, to an extent, I think that it's quite difficult to draw parallels because, you know, with 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 the Barwood role, for example, you know, you're looking at a particular investment opportunity and, and, and reviewing risks and establishing what those risks are and whether they are appropriate for the kind of return that you're you're going to be expecting. Whereas I think when you look comparing that to the JLL days, you're looking at, you know, you're providing advice on on what if scenarios of if I was to sell this site, you know, what could it be worth or, or what, you know, how do I achieve that? So I guess one, one's probably, they're both creative to some regard, but one's, you know, the, the, the Barwood piece is called, probably quite defensive in order to be able to protect the investment. Is it a smooth transition or was, it, was, this, a, was, this, a, was this something, you, you know, that was, that was a real sort of gear change? I'd say it was a smooth transition uh, in the sense that there was lots and lots of transferable skills it was i found at jll you had so many different um, departments that you could just walk across the room to uh, and consult ideas principles or, or you know of, of, uh, obtaining some information whereas i found barwood um obviously it's a much smaller business and and you've got a w- absolute wealth of knowledge um, but you might not have the infinite detail of you know uh, you know something that you need on on your doorstep like you did at JLL whether that be you know instantaneous build costs values or what have you relative obviously you know I was looking at the alternative sector which you know Barwood which was one of my roles at Barwood was to you know identify opportunities within that alternative sector which you know Barwood weren't renowned for to some regard so you, you could say to an extent I was having to to row my own boat okay um looking back now what would what advice would you give yourself when you know, when that first sort of 12 months of Barwood not to put too much pressure on yourself but to continuously ask questions you know the businesses are successful if, if by the virtue of having the right people in there and and the, the wealth of knowledge amongst your peers will be phenomenal you just have to ask the question don't think that you have to do everything on your own um, that was a mistake that I'd often made thinking I had to row my own boat and and actually you, you ask around the table and you'll be surprised at you know within the wider business who knows what or who knows who okay that's interesting particularly when you say about not putting too much pressure on yourself looking through the lens of, of prop ski you know 
this is really starting to take off now, isn't it? And then during the times then with, with sort of bar, would your presumably sort of year six um, with sort of prop ski. At any point, did you consider then backing out of that and focusing on your career or rather than running them both simultaneously? Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that um, there was there has been times where I wish I didn't have to run Propsky. It is a huge commitment uh, of time, energy. But um, fortunately, we've got ourselves a really, really good committee that, you know, take various roles and responsibilities, which relieve the pressure. And I think the way that we've structured it now, reducing any sales risk from our perspective is extremely positive. I won't go into the details, but there was a point in time a couple of years ago where we had 150 flights that we had to sell and we had about three weeks to sell them. Otherwise, I think we were going to go bust. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why? Why have you stayed stayed involved? It's thoroughly enjoyable um, to be able to run a trip which has got such high regard by the industry uh, and is recognised. I mean, we've raised in excess of £100,000 for charity. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, Have ambitions to double that over the next two, three years. And I've met some lifelong friends out of it. Okay, so well, so we've covered then those earlier sort of times with with Barwood. I want to get into the meat of that of that time you spent there. Thinking about the let's say in sort of the, the middle part of your career with, with Bold, what challenges were you facing at that time? Yeah, um, well, aside of personal challenges, uh, moving my family up to uh, to Northampton, buying a house and, and having my firstborn Annie <laughs> in the middle of it. Um, after um, supporting Barwood's kind of uh, move into the alternatives market and, the, and, and and being involved with the investment for Perseus Land and uh, Developments, the business I now work at, um, which focuses on care home and retirement, that became fairly self-managing to an extent. You know, there was a, a very successful MD, Duncan Ford, managing that business uh, and, and sourcing and securing opportunities left, right and centre which was brilliant for the fund and it was everything that it was set out to be. My role to an extent was then slightly changed or amended to focus on the other allocations within the fund or the fund that was running at the time. And and, and that was predominantly looking at office, the office market and starting from a fairly standing start, if you like, um, not knowing many of the regional office agents or, or regional office development managers, you know, I set myself the task of, of, of going out and picking the big six cities and going and meeting everyone uh, and spreading the word about Barwood, uh, inviting proposals to come forward for um, allocation of the fund um, investment. Uh, alongside looking at repositioning assets myself. And yeah, so quite quickly you get to know Bristol, Birmingham, Manchester and the likes uh, and what opportunities exist. Um, That was all fairly brought to a swift um, end when COVID started, um, which is at the point in which you know, we the, the business took a strategic decision to focus predominantly on the industrial market, given its strengths and our expertise, or say Barwood's expertise, not mine. And and that was another challenge. So it was, we you know, we parked office until a, a sunnier day. And then it was focusing on the industrial market. And same again, I had to go and get to know the market, the players, the individuals, uh, and, and unearth some opportunities. You made it sound very simple then about sort of the that process of getting to know the the major players, the markets. Is it as simple as that? 
And if and if so, you know, why aren't more people successful in it? What what are you doing? Do you think that is that is unique? Um, I think I had the benefit of fairly a pretty strong brand of of Barwood and in the industrial market certainly you know it's a well-known name uh, and it opens doors and it, when you stop and take check and think actually who in my linkedin contacts or my black book works in the industrial market and you pick up the phone and start talking you know you find markets of you know the right people will be fairly supportive of what you're trying to do and trying to achieve and 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 more often than not will put you in contact with might even be their competitors sometimes but they know that you know you're a good guy so let's help you out so it, to some extent um you know my network helped me uh, alongside the, the barwood brand this I've, I've got to ask now because you know we we gave you the so the intro at the start we know you're you're no longer directly employed by barwood you're employed now by perseus london development after spending all this this time and effort to to reinvent your contact book with Barwood from being first of all alternatives, then office, then industrial, why then make that decision then to depart from Barwood and join Perseus Land and Development? Yeah, I think um, it is a it is quite a big risk um, to an extent. You know, if, if looking back, I, I was very happy at Barwood and could have stayed there probably for the rest of my life. Uh, but in actual fact, you know, my involvement with the origination of Perseus and uh, and managing the Barwood account, the Barwood and Perseus account, sorry, originally for 18 months, allowed me to see uh, the inner workings, if you like, of Perseus uh, and the, the managing director, Duncan Ford. And um, he is just someone that can open doors and make things happen. And yeah, he's, he's got a very entrepreneurial outlook, which I see, you know, will we'll make that business grow tenfold. I mean, if you look at it as a, from a sector perspective, it's, it's, you know, it's fairly recession proof. You know, there is an aging demographic. Um, there's not going to be a drop off in demand for care home beds unless someone solves dementia, then we're all happy anyway. But, you know, to, to an extent, I could have a much more meaningful impact in a smaller business, um, which is, in my view, has got exponential growth prospects. So, yeah, it, I, for me, I see it as a risk worth taking. Now, I, 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 risk for me is really interesting. And I, this is something, you know, this is a, a recurring theme in the people who I choose to interview. And they, I think there are two themes that commonly crop up here. My guests typically will will see opportunities that others do not see. And second, they will take opportunities that present greater risk than I think others would have. You mentioned risk. How risky was it? Well, uh, you know, everyone has their own view of what risk is, depending on what's on on the line. But ultimately, I was walking away from a, a, a role that I enjoyed, uh, a role that I was being paid well for. Uh, that was paying my mortgage, you know, uh, which <laughs> which is supporting my family and moving to a business which is fairly young, albeit proven um, by the track record of the individuals involved, but to a business that is what, you know, was two years by the t- or two and a half years old by the time I moved there. So it, risk is, a, you know, you need to balance up <laughs> what the risk is. Do I think that the market's going to fall off from care homes? No. Do I think that the individuals there will be successful? Definitely. 
it, you could see it as a risk by walking away from what is a, a brilliant role where there was a lot of enjoyment uh, and satisfaction. Um, but for me, it was a it was an opportunity to yeah have that more of a meaningful impact to a smaller business and being part of a growth story. Now then, I, I, I want to sort of turn our attention now to looking forwards. What looking sort of in terms of your own development? Well, what have you next to learn? Um, what have I got next to learn? <laughs> the care home market. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's the next one. Uh, no um, jokes aside, you know, I've, having spent two years managing the the, the Perseus account for Barwood, I've got a good understanding, but you know, there is there's a lot still to learn, and um, I'll be picking the team's brains consistently. Don't, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of transferable skill from the, the planning world, the development world, the appraisal bits and pieces, all of that's transferable. But the nuances of the care market and understanding the ultimate client, who is the operator, is the main objective. If I can deliver the product that is needed and wanted, then we're successful. And what do you want to achieve next? What are you striving for? Um, what am I striving for? Success. I'm not sure what it is. It just means doing things right and being rewarded for them, for doing things right. That's not necessarily monetary. It's being in an environment where um, you're getting the feedback, which makes you happy. And on the topic of success, you know, has your view of success changed? Have the way in which you measure that, has that changed over time? Yeah, very much so. I think a younger, your younger days you, you perhaps measuring it on your paycheck yeah i've changed very much um don't get me wrong you know the the property industry can pay well and, and can play you know the likes of king sturge and jll can play big bonuses as well but um you know looking at success is having the right balance isn't it of having you know success not just at work at home um i found myself one for one reason or another commuting too much into in and out of london um from probably quite historic working practices of having to be at your desk by eight and gone after six and you know the environment at barwood and Perseus are very different now that said i haven't been at jll and king sturge or what have you for quite some time and, and i suspect their practices have changed but it's having the right balance is, is what i see as success being able to pay the bills um, and then my, my one final question I wanted to, to ask Will is, and I think it's probably fair to say, I want to return back to prop scheme. Given it will be 10 years old next year, does it still keep on giving or or has, as one of its sort of founding members, has it run its course in terms of its benefit? Are you just giving back now or are you still reaping the benefits? No, I'd very much say I'm I'm now reaping the benefits of all the seeds that were sown, you know, over the last 10 years. You know, it was only last year, two years, yeah, last year that, you know, I out of the blue end up in a conversation with someone that I skied with a couple of years ago that mentioned that a family owner, uh, you know, part of their family has a, a large piece of farm estate that they want to look to develop, you know, happy days. You know, you have a conversation for one reason or another, this one didn't work out. But without that prop ski relationship, I would never have known about that piece of land. <laughs> Well, Will, thank you very much for joining me. I've really, really appreciated the journey you've taken us on. And yeah, I think it's what's really interesting as, as well as about sort of how that entrepreneurial gene has really sort of sown seed and throughout, throughout parts of your career as well. So, Will, thank you very much for sharing that with us. 
listener. Thank you very much, Nick. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.